Hello, and welcome to Big Fish in the Talent Pool with your host, Aaron Peterson, partner and global talent acquisition consultant with People Results. In each episode, Aaron interviews a corporate head of talent acquisition to shine a light on how they got there, what keeps them up at night, and their views on all the hot topics in TA Today. There's nothing Erin is afraid to ask because she's been there. Now here's your host, Erin Peterson. Hi, Big Fish listeners, and welcome to episode 29 with two terrific guests, Jennifer Hillsman, the VP of Talent Acquisition for Global Analytics Powerhouse, EXL, and Chris Gould, the SVP and Global Client Portfolio Leader at RPO Powerhouse, People Scout. So that's a lot of globals and a lot of powerhouses, but it's warranted for our topic, which is all about reimagining high-volume hiring during and after COVID. But before that, a quick reminder about our sponsor, ATAP, the professional association for those who are serious about growing their TA career and their network. Speaking of growing, ATAP's body of knowledge is growing by the day, including a very timely webinar series around diversity, equity, and inclusion in recruiting. You can find out more information about that and membership at ATAP by visiting atapglobal.org. That's A-T-A-P-G-L-O-B-A-L.org. Now, on to Chris Gould and Jennifer Hillsman. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to the CRE webinars. I'm Erin McDermott-Peterson and I am very happy to be with you today moderating this panel of high-volume hiring experts and I'm going to have them introduce themselves in uh, just a minute. But, you know, I think when we originally had the idea for this webinar, it was because there are some out there who may assume that due to COVID that actually people are not hiring, which is definitely not the case. I'm a consultant and talent acquisition expert and RPO advisor. And what I can say is that there's a number of people out there who more than ever need help figuring out how to hire the number of people that they uh, need to bring in, whether that be a small number of hires or a very large number of hires. We're all looking for new solutions in technology, in process, and in the people who are doing the work to make them as efficient and uh, as sane as possible when they need to get people hired. So we've assembled a great panel here for you today, and we're going to talk more about that. So First of all, let's welcome our panel, Chris Gould with People Scout and Jennifer Hilsman with EXL. I'd like each one of you to introduce yourselves um, and tell our audience at a high level who you hire for, what your overall volumes are that you're responsible for, and where you learned your large-scale hiring skills. And uh, I'd also like you to offer up something that is perhaps something not very many people know about you as a little fun fact. So. Chris, we'll start with you. Thank you, Aaron. Uh, my name is Chris Gould, uh, based out of Dallas, uh, Texas. Have about uh, 25 years in recruiting. Uh, started out as an individual recruiter and, and have progressed over the years into recruiting leadership. Really learned the trade at Accenture, formerly Anderson Consulting, in the high-volume technical space. Uh, have moved on into leading uh, organizations at Aon, uh, Black & Veatch, so everything from uh, actuaries to accounting, technical, construction. Uh, my current position is an RPO leader. Uh, our clients across the board, so everything from retail, high volume, uh, quick serve, customer care, really uh, anything you could think of. Lots of hiring going on. And um, 
you know, so have really focused on those areas, pretty much have touched most. Uh, maybe a fun fact about myself, we have lots of pets, but one that most people are surprised to hear is we have a pet chinchilla named Gary. So uh, that is uh, my fun fact. Okay. Well, that's an interesting fun fact for me that happens to be my husband's name. So I'm sure he'll be happy to hear that. <laughs> well, I, I didn't want to say it, but we named it after, after your husband. <laughs> oh, good to know. All right. Yeah, it's probably appropriate. Okay. <laughs> Jennifer, uh, tell, tell the audience about your background. Great. Thanks, Aaron. Um, so like, like Chris, I came from Accenture for my first 20 years. Um, we did recruiting there, leading up large-scale hiring for technology, consulting, and digital profiles. Now I'm currently with EXL as their Vice President of Talent Acquisition, overseeing hiring for U.S., Latin America, and Canada. And the types of profiles that we hire are very similar to Accenture, which is where I came from. So it worked out very well. Digital profiles, as well as uh, niche consulting skills, and also some offshore outsourcing type of profiles as well. In terms of a fun fact about me um, that you may not know, I have a passion for baking. Doesn't mean I'm good at it, but I do enjoy it. And typically in October, I enroll in a baking competition in Stone Lake, Wisconsin, which is the neighboring state to where I'm from, which is Minneapolis. And I submit a baking uh, contest invention that I've created every year, and I never get into the final rounds, but I enjoy the process. So. That's my oh, That is super interesting. So I guess after COVID, when we can actually get together again, uh, we'll, we'll have to figure out how to meet yeah. so you can help us can gain a little weight with your fine creations. So. <laughs> All right, good. And so let's jump right in. I, you know, I would, I would say, I think I mentioned my background before. Uh, I also draw my experience originally from Accenture, where I did a lot of high volume hiring Aon, Aon Hewitt, where I led the RPO, and then Amazon. So I have done uh, pretty much everything that could be hired. I've uh, either done it myself or led it, and it's really my passion and my uh, my career choice to um, be someone who has the benefit of standing in the crossroads with hiring managers and candidates and changing their lives. So that's uh, it's been a privilege. Uh, fun fact about me, I am a flying enthusiast. I am, uh, my happy place is in any kind of an aircraft, uh, anywhere. And that despite the fact that I'm actually a survivor of a small crash. So I won't go into the details. Obviously, I'm fine, but that's definitely the case. So, all right. Well, uh, let's, let's get right into it. Um, I'd like to ask uh, Jennifer our first question. Jennifer, what would you say are, are, are the one or two biggest changes that EXL has implemented this year to deliver your hiring results and still keep employees safe, you know, mm -hmm. in the wake of COVID-19? That's a great question. Um, uh, well, we are a traditional company where we have a very traditional hiring process wherein people would come in for face-to-face -face interviews. That was a standard part of our process. And our leadership was very comfortable with that. Fast forward to COVID, where that's not possible, we've moved to a completely digitized hiring process from candidate attraction all the way through to onboarding. So that has been the biggest change for us is no more face-to-face -face and the original hesitancy around whether or not we could get the same joiner quality coming out of that hiring process. We've proven our leaders to our leadership that we can using various digital tools and um, it's working for us. And I think it'll be the way of the future for us going forward. Thank you for that. And we're going to dive into more of the details on that in a little bit, because we want to hear uh, all about the technologies and the process changes. Chris, 
in your case, working with People Scout, you know, you've got the one to many advantage, is what I would call it. You've got changes you can make that you can apply to multiple clients. That being the case, um, what does that look like uh, where you're at? What, what kinds of big changes have you made that you can roll out to multiple clients? In other words, if I were a People Scout client, what would I expect to hear from my client relationship manager about what's happening with my hiring? Sure. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. Uh, you know, honestly, the first thing we say is it's okay, right? You're not in this alone. Uh, you know, one of the advantages is we, we see it across every company, every industry. Uh, the stress that's been added to to the hiring environment and the changes that have had to come, both culturally, as Jennifer said, as well as technology and from a candidate experience. Really, the two big things uh, Jennifer had touched on, we, we see quite often what we bring to clients. It's around technology uh, and safety, right? So how can we make sure that the candidate hiring process is both safe for the candidates as well as the hiring managers? Uh, that generally means it's remote, uh, a lot less travel, a lot less in-person interaction, uh, as well as working through the cultural steps of what that means. If, you, if you're a, a company who's very comfortable, has traditionally always had people into the office, meeting multiple people, um, going through group interviews, whatever it may be, how can we recreate that using technology? Uh, and, and, and at the end of the day, have a, have a safe environment, but also one that's very thorough. Uh, it's, it's very open. And the candidate can get what he or she needs out of it as well. And, uh, and the hiring manager is still comfortable that they have enough information to make a good decision, both technically and culturally, uh, as far as uh, if this is a good fit for the person that they're speaking with. So, so that's really what we've been primarily looking at is uh, how do we make sure that people are one or safe, two, that we, we still have the process move efficiently, and then working through any cultural barriers that may come up uh, to, to help enable them to, to be successful, to continue what can be some fairly aggressive hiring goals. So it's a, a lot of questions, and we're going to get into some of the answers of how you have made sure of all of those things. And let's do it by phase. So everybody knows that talent acquisition uh, typically has the key phases of, of brand building or attraction sourcing, the initial screen phase, then the assessment or the interview process, then, of course, the offer and onboarding. So I'd love to be able to kind of dissect it and walk through what each of you in your roles and your organizations have been doing for each one of those phases. The assumption is that where things used to be more in person, that they've probably gone virtual. But in some cases, for example, sourcing, that typically is virtual anyway and was for a long time. But maybe there are changes that uh, I wouldn't expect to to hear that you've been implementing even in things that have been virtual for a long time. So let's talk about that. So Jennifer, what, what about sourcing? So what, if anything, has changed in terms of you know, the sourcing for your high volume levels and roles? Um, well, two things, if I may just take it a little further step back, um, candidate attraction, we use this time during COVID where for a brief period, our hiring volumes were lower. And wow. even us, I think back in March, April, we were very much on a slower state of hiring than uh, obviously in the prior months. So we use that time to put together video job descriptions with our own people using their own passion for their work talking very authentically about their, their work and bringing that to life through video. So we use that slower period to bring to life video job descriptions, not for every single job, but for as many as we could. 
Um, so that's kind of on that sourcing phase or the attraction phase before sourcing. And then in terms of the sourcing phase, we've been looking at, we've again, during that slower period where things were a little slower than they they are now, we looked at a few different um, artificial intelligence vendors that could help us build those candidate pipelines using the latest technologies to identify those passive candidates that are so hard to find. And we looked at Cadient, HireTual, um, Sensia, another one was Eightfold, which all had really very mature uh, AI technologies. And we took that opportunity to pilot those and see which one worked best for us. So those are the two things that we were able to do during this COVID time that we probably wouldn't have been able to do during normal times where we're running as fast as we can to source and screen, source and screen, offer, offer, offer. So that's a big distinction from what uh, what was happening before COVID. Uh, good use of time, obviously, mm-hmm. in uh, kind of fixing your attraction process. Just curious about the video job descriptions. Is mm-hmm. there a particular technology that you access to do that? We didn't. We used our cell phones. Um, we said, let's make it easy for our hiring managers. Most of them were obviously virtual. Um, we didn't feel like it was a good time to go to our leadership to request a big technology investment in a standardized tool. So we did cell phone videos, had people um, use their cell phone, capture a 30-second cut, having them talking passionately about the work they do. And it was easier to get them engaged because there wasn't a sophisticated technology that they had to learn to do it. They just used their cell phones put it up on our portal and um, we're off to the races. Wow. Love it. I love the organicness of that and uh, authenticity, I would imagine. Chris, what about you in terms of uh, attraction and or sourcing? Yeah. So one of the areas that we spend a lot of time is putting people into locations. It could be a a larger city. It could be a, a suburb. It could be downtown specific zip codes and, and, a lot of in-person interactions. So whether it be places of worship, health clubs, grocery stores, getting the name out very organically, posting things, getting in front of people. Very successful over the years doing that as, as well as, you know, obviously with the, the sourcing technologies and, and things that people are very used to. But when we were doing high volume, especially for retail or customer service or call centers, those people, those folks are not always on the internet looking for jobs or looking on social media. So we were very successful getting out in front of those organizations. Well, as you can imagine, that all changed, right? There wasn't, you know, health clubs weren't even open. Places of worship weren't even open. And, and so getting onto those boards or getting in front of those people were very challenging. So we really moved then to what are different technologies that it really challenged us to the Facebook groups next door, uh, mm-hmm. other technologies or social in, in, uh, places where where people can interact. It could be school boards where, where parents are, are interacting with teachers, obviously, if they give you permission to do so. But getting those messages out there uh, electronically as opposed to in person, where that quite frankly was you know something that was very successful for us. And, and so changing that and pulling back and finding different ways to engage talent that we didn't have a great success on your traditional, traditional you know, social media sites. Uh, we've seen that really pick up. I, I think as individuals had to pull back from some of the community or organizational groups in person, opportunity they've had to network in the past, looking at these different sites, getting those words out there or getting those messages out there in front of them has been very successful. We've seen a really large uh, uptake of um, not only sourcing candidates, but quality candidates, people that uh, are open looking and, and uh, have done really well in the interview process. Hey, interesting. And um, I know many of uh, my clients at People Results looking to modernize 
the way that they're hiring, especially hourly employees, are looking into things like text recruit and other platforms that would allow uh, the ability to engage candidates. Any any innovations like that that have worked for you guys, either of you? Yeah, it's um, you know very similar. So as as we think about not only the engagement and, and one point I, I, we, we've learned with like Nextdoor and there's some other ones as well. You have to be locally in the area to to post, right? So we've really had to think about our hiring manager engagement and getting them involved differently. If the recruiter doesn't happen to be in that suburb or in that subdivision, we've had to reach out to hiring managers and ask them to help us differently than maybe they have in the past. And, and so I think it's also helped the engagement and the partnership of getting them personally involved and seeing what kind of responses they get, having them interact differently with the recruiter. Uh, you know, I, I think that may be something in the future that's going to stick. Uh, I think now that we've built those relationships differently, there isn't any reason to turn them off. And and so how can we continue that? So sorry to digress, but I wanted to, to kind of bring that back up. As far as technology goes, absolutely the text recruit. Uh, we're using it for engagement, talent communities, reaching out to individuals very quickly. Uh, we all know that the response rate from a text is much higher than an email and other avenues. Uh, so being able to mobilize individuals very quickly turn on a pipeline very quickly, and then also basic screening questions. So something that can be answered yes or no, or one, two, or three, whatever the the situation may be. So if there's some basic qualifications that we need for a specific job, we have people in the talent community or talent pipeline, but we need to further understand their abilities, their desire, whatever it may be. Uh, We can do that very quickly, have it come into a CRM, and then, uh, you know, activate that pipeline. So it's, it's been very helpful yeah. for us. Well, I love that. And I also love the impact on the candidate experience because we all know the candidates want quick feedback. And if they're not a fit and they figure that out pretty quickly on the basis of the uh, text conversation back and forth, that they don't have the skills or qualifications, they have their feedback. So I think it enhances all, all around. Jennifer, to what extent are you engaging in uh, university recruiting during these interesting times? Yeah, at EXL traditionally we haven't done a lot um, with university recruiting. It's been uh, a couple schools that we've gone to. So as far as a broad brush um, can, uh, campus outreach, we haven't done much that I would probably go into any depth on. And right now it's completely halted. So um, not too much right right now. Okay, uh, Chris, any comments about university recruiting and how that's had to pivot? It is, uh, it's, it's fascinating right now as, as every university, it seems like it's doing something a little bit differently. And, and as they're opening and closing and there's all sorts of situations, uh, a lot of it is in the air. So it's again, thinking about how do we engage the, the students differently, the professors differently, the faculty, whatever it may be. Uh, so we are moving again into much more digital interactions. I, I, I don't, I don't imagine that we're going to be on campus at all this year. There may be a few situations where that will be. But as you think about how we've done campus recruiting for the last 100 years, it is significantly different. I mean, it's always about the on-campus experience. Uh, People have been moving to more of a virtual interviewing, texting, whatever it may be. But it's still very much about that on-site presence. I think this is a really great opportunity for companies to, to kind of level that playing field as well. As you think about there's large companies who have lots of money. Big budgets could go anywhere they want to, could have huge displays. And then there's smaller, medium-sized companies that just don't have the financial ability to do that. When we digitize it, we put it on the platform, it, 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 it smooths things out. You could you could really recruit anywhere in the country or the world you want to, one. Uh, two, your, your branding, your messaging can be your branding. You own it. And it doesn't have to be big. It can just be very 
very, very much on, on, on spot. So I'm excited about what that can mean. I, I think it's going to challenge some companies differently, uh, but I think it's going to give a lot of companies opportunity to tap into talent pools, whether it be diverse talent pools or just talent pools they haven't had the opportunity to in the past uh, to reach out to them, to provide a message uh, and, and to see if they could open up the, uh, the top and bring in a different, different set of people. And before I move on with some of my prepared questions, I do see in the chat that we've got a couple of questions that are popping up and we will get to them to the extent that we can uh, by the end. I, I just would love to pull out one here from Jeremy Reed. Did you decide on any AI platforms, tools, and for what part of the process? Who wants to take that one? Um, I can take it. We are still piloting. The one we're piloting right now is called Hire to All. Um, and we're piloting in the Philippines right now for healthcare, specifically for some healthcare profiles. They've got access to over 700 million candidates, which is uh, pretty significant. We'll see how it goes. Stay tuned. Okay. All right. Chris, anything to add to that? As an RPO, we, we use lots of different uh, tools, part of lots of different people. We have our own technologies as well. So it's uh, it's, it's really a wide variety of different uh, technologies and partnerships that we have, depending on the client environment, what they use, what they're able to use. And and so it's it's been fascinating to see all the, all the different um, inputs and ways people are, are trying to tackle these problems. And I'll try to keep my eye here on, on the uh, chat. So if you have other questions, feel free to just uh, lob them in and we will handle them as we can. There's more openness generally, I think, to technologies as we've all been thrust into this. You, you know, you can no longer resist the inevitable. We have to use technology. Uh, not that recruiting professionals were ever opposed to technology, but I think they needed to work with internal and external customers to make sure that they were comfortable. And so uh, it sort of feels like all the barriers have fallen down. I'm just wondering, uh, how are hiring managers that you are dealing with feeling these days, especially as they have to assess candidates that they can't sit in the same room with? How's that change management going? I can take that. From our perspective, they wanted to add more steps to the process in terms of having another set of eyes since we can't get to the candidate in person. It's all by, by way of video. They wanted to add another interview to the process that perhaps hadn't been there before, depending on the group at our company. And that gives them that added feeling of confidence that they're making the right choice, that they're not compromising joiner quality just because they've had to go to a completely digitized format. So by having a second set of eyes on a candidate, that's helped uh, keep the confidence they need to make a hiring decision. As far as their confidence in a technology tool, for the video, um, we are currently using Microsoft Teams, and that seems to be working great for the virtual interviews. So it didn't require an additional technology investment. We are already on Teams, so we were fine with that um, technology. It seems to be working for us. No need to spend any further money on technology in that regard. And Chris, what would you say? Yeah, it, it is... Uh... As I think across all of our different clients and, and the the cultures of those clients, and even the 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 adoption of technology prior to this, uh, we we have some clients that are, are very comfortable, very used to it. You know, on, on my machine, for example, I have Teams, I have Skype, I have Zoom, I have probably three or four other ones I don't even know about. As every every client uses something a little bit different, how can we continue to integrate from a technology perspective? Where our focus has really been is on the candidate side as well. Because although they've had to adapt, some people just hadn't used it before. They hadn't used FaceTime. They hadn't used Skype or Zoom. They don't maybe have a laptop at home, whatever the situation is may be. 
So we don't want to negatively impact subset of candidates because of their infrastructure, technology infrastructure, what it must be. And so it's been very thoughtful about um, working with the candidates, understanding their technology, their uh, comfort level, sometimes practicing with them, making sure they could turn on because we don't want them to feel the pressure not only having an interview, but also worrying about the technologies. And right. so from a cultural perspective, that's been uh, it's been very important. But then flipping over the hiring manager, it could be very similar. Some of the hiring managers are very comfortable with it and, and we don't want them focused on trying to move around and, and you know messing with things and uh, and worrying about um, what's going on with their computer as opposed to focusing on the candidate uh, and the questions in that experience. And so there has been a lot more, I'll call them pre-interview sessions, uh, where it's not only uh, your traditional intake, but it's let's walk through what this process will actually look like. Let's you and I get on the phone or get on the computer and just talk back and forth and get comfortable with how it's going to be. And, and once we've been able to do that, you know, 99% of the time, it's worked out just fine. I don't think it's going to change. I, I, you know, if, if I had to make a big guess, I, I think the, the days of flying candidates back and forth, days of multiple in-person interviews, uh, I think are going to, for a lot of companies, be, be gone. And the ones who still wish to have it are going to cut it back significantly because they've been doing this for a year. And as it relates to video interviewing, I've long been a proponent of video interviewing just to be able to cut cycle time down, but also because I feel like it gives the candidate an opportunity to tell their story in a way, if you do, if you use it for the one-way video interview, for example, or even the screening interview, which kind of levels the playing field and allows every candidate to answer the same screening questions in the same order so that you have parity between candidates and you can literally compare apples to apples in terms of their responses. A number of people that I've been talking to are interested in maybe taking the leap finally to be able to use recorded one-way video or recorded two-way video as they interview, primarily because they want to hang on to the data longer term, not just to be able to share it with other interviewers so that everybody knows what the candidate answered in the last interview, but maybe if they're a silver medalist and they don't really make it through the process this time, but we want to call them the next time we have an opportunity, we've still got their video. So am I out on an island all by myself here? Or do you are you hearing that people are more open than less to recording the interview, keeping it, hanging on to it, figuring out a way to catalog it? I see in our chat, we've got Jen Tringola, who is suggesting trying Vimeo to record videos. So I, I wonder if that was for sourcing purposes, but, you know, if, if there's an interface, you could definitely allow uh, really any platform as a way for candidates to be able to record their message to you, tell their story, and then yeah. you've got it long term. So what what do you think? Am I crazy? No, I think you're dead on. I think candidates want to tell the story, have the opportunity to prepare a little bit ahead of time um, with the questions that are going to be asked and not just be fired questions at by an interviewer. They actually have a little soapbox they can get on by way of video. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a good thing. The talent board tells us, right, in, in the whole candidate experience right. methodology that people just want an opportunity to tell their story and then they want feedback. So that would be the other challenge is if you're receiving one-way video interviews, uh, you want to make sure that you actually make a determination and then give feedback and then ask for feedback on the process as well. So I see we have some questions coming in about platforms for the one-way video interview. Modern Hire is mentioned from uh, Rachel Campbell. I personally have implemented that for a client before. Also, HireVue, of course, is the kind of original, the OG of the video interviewing world, but um, there, there, there are many. 
I think what, what I like best when I'm doing a vendor selection for a client is to understand the capability of the video interview tool in that I want to be able to load in questions and I want ideally to be able to present the hiring manager recording themselves. So the candidate, before they enter, uh, enter their information, they're able to kind of see the hiring manager get a sense of, you know, what that person is like. I mean, there's, there's a lot of different features and there isn't uh, just one that offers that. But I think uh, the important thing is to make it as user-friendly as possible, which you can do with basic platforms and also really sophisticated ones. So um, Chris, anything to add to that from your experience? Yeah, I completely agree. And I think the ability for people to step back, relax, uh, gather their thoughts, to present them at their best is is what we're looking for. You know, I'm not a big believer in the pressure of interviews and and trying to trick people. And, you know, as far as I'm concerned, they can have the questions. I mean, it's, it's, it's really about I want them to be able to present who they are, what they're capable of. And uh, what their passions are. And if, if we could do that in a setting where they feel very comfortable, uh, very open to ask questions as well, then I think it's, it's a win for everybody. And, mm-hmm. and using technology to do that, again, as people are becoming much more comfortable with it, I think, you know, several years ago it was probably a little more stressful if people hadn't been, had as much access to it. Or maybe the first time you're ever doing it was an interview, which is not what you want. But as the future becomes, especially after this, mm-hmm. I think it's going to be very common. To, to see whether it's modern hire or hire view, any of the ones we've discussed before, uh, having those platforms. And I love having the hiring manager introduce it. I think that is a wonderful way to, to open up video interviews, to have that person talk about why they're there, what they love about the company, what their expectations are for this role. It just brings so much life to a job description uh, and kind of sets the tone for, for the interview. We should probably mention Katie and Talent offers that as well, our sponsor on uh, their platform. But uh, Jennifer, what were you going to add in? Oh, I was just going to say to add on to what Chris is just saying also, not only from the candidate perspective, but also the employer perspective. I think as recruiting leaders, it's a good time to get your leadership to yes on making a technology investment in a Cadient or a higher higher view or whatever gold standard tool you want to look at, because we probably aren't going back to the face-to-face modality. We are going to be doing these virtual interviews and to have an enabling technology that that has a good reputation that you know is going to work well for your company. This is the time to be making the case, the business case for it, as opposed to maybe six months ago when it wasn't quite so necessary. Yeah. I mean, there's, uh, it's always good not to waste a burning platform, right? So we've got a burning platform right now for major change. Might as well get people comfortable with it. But it's an interesting assumption that you're making, Jennifer. Are you sure that when COVID is over, when there's a vaccine, when there's therapeutics and everybody's more comfortable getting together, are you sure that hiring managers won't say, okay, good, now we can go back to meeting candidates in person? What do you think? I think not. I think they're going to be able to see in front of them that the hiring outcomes are equally good when you use the video interface um, as as much as when you're seeing them face to face. And the efficiency gains that you achieve by way of a video interview versus flying them in and all the logistical, not to mention the expense, the cost savings, all of that added up. I think we're great. It's here to stay. We're not going to see that return to buying people all over, like Chris was alluding to, the logistical nightmare, losing candidates sometimes in the process because we can't make the logistics work out between the hiring manager's client commitments and the candidates. So I think it's here to stay. Well, here's an interesting question from uh, Vince Sumter. 
Do you have any concerns with standard screening questions becoming known in the market? So that would come as a result of, you know, candidates being asked the same question so they can share that with each other. Ultimately, Chris, what do you think about that? You know, it, it already happens. There's websites out there that, that post job uh, questions and, and we all know where they are and, and where to find them. I, you know, I think if there's a specific technical role or something where you're asking specific technical questions that need to be worked through, you know, changing those up on a regular basis is not a bad idea. But, uh, you know, for the most part, the questions are the questions, right? I mean, it's, it, it is, you go to 100 different companies, you're going to be asked the same question nine out of 10 times. There may be a few unique ones or something there. But again, in the spirit of getting out of the gotcha, I, I don't mind if people know. I, I really don't. And maybe I'm a minority on that, but it's 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 really about having the conversation and giving them a platform to express who they are and what they want. And uh, if they happen to know, if I'm going to ask them about the time, you know, this or that, then so be it. You know, if they've had time to think through some stories and and think through details and be very comfortable with it, then then the conversation is actually better for me. Not a personal concern, but I know others do. Uh, other than just you know, changing them out every few weeks or few months, that, that would be the only thing I could think of that would, would help with that. Uh, the only thing I would add to that is almost the opposite. Coming out, again, the talent board just kind of thinking about their candidate experience methodology and the feedback that has been gathered over, you know, millions of bytes of data that they've done through surveys. Their recommendation is make it easy for candidates to interview well. Tell them about the process. Mm -hmm. Set their expectations. Tell them what questions to expect. I mean, Amazon's been doing that for, you know, 10 years or more, putting the leadership principles out on their website so that you can study them, know them, get get prepared to come with a good example of how you've exhibited them already. I don't know. My, my feeling is if people take the opportunity to figure it out and have ready answers, that's so much better than a gotcha. I don't know. I, I, I think it's okay. I think if they, it's okay for them to know. Uh, Jennifer, would you have a different perspective? No, I'm with Chris and, and with you. I think more and more the candidates have the control over the situation in this candidate-centric marketplace where we're fighting for talent and making it a more pleasant experience that doesn't have all sorts of surprising questions and gotcha questions, as Chris calls them. That's going to lead to a better candidate experience, which will lead to a higher offer outcome, getting them staffed on jobs out doing our work much faster than if we snag someone in the in the in the interview process on a question that uh, threw them completely for a loop and then they right. didn't have a positive experience and just kind of want to walk away and not bother with us. Right. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about bias for a second. There's a great question here on the chat. Is there a way to de-bias the video interview? What do you think? I, I think it's about training, right? Uh, there may be uh, I'm not a, an IO, I'm, I'm not an expert in this area, but when we think about the importance of whether it's a video interview or an in-person interview, or our own recruitment and sourcing teams, it's about training. It's about making sure that the individuals who are conducting these interviews have you know, understand, uh, one, the law, but two, how to interview, how to ask questions, what to look for, how to make sure that they're making good decisions, thoughtful decisions around individuals have diverse backgrounds. And, and, and so we focus a lot on that, but also then looking at metrics on the back end, right? So anything that we can we can see uh, from a waterfall, you know, aspect of uh, how uh, candidates identify, making sure that there is anything that's more of a reactive, obviously, than a, than a proactive. But for us, it's really about the, the training uh, and the expertise of the people doing those interviews to to ensure that they're making the right decisions. Uh, I think Chris is right. Um, training is huge. Uh, making sure that we have our Hiring managers, interviewers trained on unconscious bias so that they're knowing um, some of the trip cards that could lead to that bias. That's one thing. But I think also interviewer and candidate preparation can help with that so that 
perhaps if you have a candidate who perhaps is less comfortable or secure with the video format of questions, they can do some preparation ahead of time on what questions are going to be asked and think about them so that that doesn't lead to leaving an impression with a hiring manager that they lack confidence or that they don't have the qualifications or expertise. By giving that little, that amount of time to prep ahead, that can be avoided, that whole bias that, oh, this person lacks confidence or lacks professional presence, that can be put to the wayside if we prep them appropriately. Yeah, I would agree. And I would add to that just my point I made earlier about the one-way video interview where the questions are already loaded up and multiple candidates are answering the same questions. I mean, how much more of an even playing field could there be when you're literally taking the the bias that, I mean, let's face it, as recruiters, as, as interviewers, we all know if you're interviewing 10 candidates, you don't ask them all exactly the same questions in the same order. You change it up a little bit or you go down a rabbit hole depending on how they answer. So to me, that's where the bias comes from. I'd almost rather have a screening interview uh, be the same on video for a number of candidates so that I can listen to their answers. I suppose there would be a, a capability to just close the video when you're listening to their answers on the video interview. Maybe that would be one idea, but I don't know. I I, I sort of feel like uh, making sure everybody gets the same chance is the key mm-hmm. and, and taking that out. Three-way video interviews, or I think maybe Jim Matson is asking about the three-way interview capability. I might call it a panel interview. Just curious, has anybody leveraged video for panel interviews to have you know multiple people interviewing at once? We have. I, I have found it tough. I, I think one of the areas about reading the cues, right? So when somebody's, so even like as you and I are not trying to talk over each other, when you have multiple people who literally can't see each other in the body language, I think it leads to more of those. Uh, I, I would suppose after time, if the same group has done several of these, they'll get better about it. But we haven't spent a lot of time with those. But there, there is just something to be conscious of. The, the experience may be a little bit challenging for everybody involved with multiple people trying to talk at the same time, excusing themselves, all those things that we're, we're used to in the big calls for Zoom or whatever it may be. And I would say just further to Chris's point, too soon to tell, kind of like the AI technologies that we're piloting, um, too soon to tell which ones are really going to come to the forefront as being the top technologies. And same with the panel interviews on video. We've done it in a couple cases recently, but I haven't heard enough feedback to say yes or no, whether or not it's, it's going to be a a format that we're going to continue with. Well, we have Crystal Craigie, sorry if I butchered your last name there, who's weighing in saying we have used video interviews for panels. So uh, sounds like some have, uh, and, and Preeti Mani as well is indicating that. So let's move away from the video conversation. Let's talk about hiring events like virtual career fairs and you know, sort of the opportunity not for an individual to engage, but for you to engage a number of people all at once through some sort of a virtual platform. What what advice do you have? Yeah. We have seen uh, quite a pickup on these virtual career fairs, and they've actually been really good. Uh, you know, in the past, you know, we'd seen some that worked, some that hadn't uh, so much, but we, we've seen a lot more, I think, just because of the obvious more people are looking from work, uh, more people are more comfortable, obviously, doing it from their computer. So for, for us, again, it's about training, uh, making sure you have enough people, uh, not underestimating the demand. And the worst thing you could do is to have one person with a queue of 75 people waiting to talk to them on a virtual. They're going to, obviously, they're going to they're drop. So making sure you have enough people that have uh, answers to the question to understand the process from a hiring perspective. What's the ask? What's the next step? 
again in an ideal situation? Or are you able to move off into a, a private room like this on a video chat? Could you even make an offer on the spot, right? So well, when I think about best practices, it's not terribly different from an in-person interview or in-person event where, you know, can you push as much of the process to that event while you have them? Can you get the hiring managers, the decision makers, whomever it may be to be to participate and, and to have good solid branding and messaging? So, so again, to my university point, this also flattens the field out for companies to, to present themselves and not have to worry about competing against a company or companies that may have a lot more um, you know, monetary assets to use uh, to use in, in whatever it may be in, in those situations. Okay. Jennifer, any experience with the virtual? It, it, not so much at EXL, but at Accenture, we did quite a few of these. I think the key thing, anchoring to what Chris said, there's some of the same principles with in-person uh, assessment days, large-scale assessment days events, apply to the virtual, starting out beginning with the end in mind. What are your goals coming out of that event? Are you hoping to hire a certain number of people? And making sure everyone is stacking hands on what those goals are, including your hiring managers. So establishing that up front. And then secondly, making sure people are prepared, particularly um, your candidates and doing so by pre-screening them so that you're not bringing people into that assessment day, virtual or otherwise, who you haven't already shortlisted so that you're wasting their time, wasting your hiring manager's time interviewing folks that aren't even, you know, aligning well with your profiles. So doing that really robust um, screening as much as possible and then making sure your hiring managers are asking very consistent knockout questions so that you are able to cut to the chase very quickly on which candidates you're able to make offers to, which ones you aren't based on, which ones have come through those knockout questions asked with answers that um, are aligned with what the hiring manager is seeking. The other key best practice for having a a good outcome that uh, meets your goals is having your your hiring managers and your HR leaders approve offers ahead of time so that to your point earlier, Aaron, you can make same day offers without waiting a day or two. And usually where, where that gets held up, as we all know, is the approval process. So if you can get as many offers approved ahead of time, whether it's broad brush offer, one consistent salary and sign on bonus and equity, or whether it's um, specific to each candidate that's come through with client pillars on those pre-screening questions, getting that all done ahead of time whether it's a virtual assessment day or in person, that's going to help um, set you up for success. All right. And what a tremendous candidate experience as well, right? To do a quick feedback, quick closure. It's all, that's all we want. The the candidates in general, I think they want closure. It's okay if I'm not going to get hired, just tell me. Right. And if they know one way or another, obviously, ideally with an offer, that's great. So I want to talk about onboarding. We're uh, unfortunately running out of time and we have some great comments coming through the chat function. So before onboarding, I'll ask uh, Logan Latorell's question. How do you market frontline jobs at a time when many people want the option to work from home? Chris, why don't you take that one to start? Yeah. So so many of our clients you just still have lots of frontline openings. And, and again, it could be in retail environments. It could be in quick serve. It could be in restaurants, manufacturing, warehousing, whatever it may be. Hotels. You know, hotels, yeah. Hotels, you know, it, you know, any, anywhere you think about as, as the economy is opening back up and people are starting to move back into those roles, we need to hire for them. And, and, and so a, a big area that we want to focus on is about safety. It's about talking why you know, the, the individuals who are looking for this kind of work are looking generally for this kind of work. So now you have a chance to differentiate yourself as opposed to your competitors 
for whatever space it may be, or what are you doing that maybe is different or better than your competitors to make sure that the individuals who take these jobs are safe, that uh, they're protected, and, and that the individuals they'll be dealing with uh, will also you know, stay safe. And, and, and so for us, that's, a, that's a, a big selling point that we really want to trust with our clients. Uh, and beyond that, it's really then being very transparent about what the process may be, what the expectations are, uh, the hours, whatever it may, you know, whatever it may have be different because of COVID, uh, especially to call that out if people have a, some assumptions they may make based upon what you've done in the past. Uh, but beyond that, it's, it's pretty similar um, other than those, those real focuses for us. Good. So sort of marketing the here's how we're going to keep you safe as an employee. Mm-hmm. And oh, by the way, great career opportunities. Is that right? Yeah, really that employee uh, or employer mm-hmm. you know, value proposition is just a little bit different, but it's really mm-hmm. focusing on what's important today. Uh, in my mind, it's safety. I mean, that that is what you know, is going to differentiate between a, a job that probably pays similar to another 10 jobs in a similar environment, why the best people should pick you, because you're going to go above and beyond what, what others may do to, to ensure that they're going to come home in a, in, in, in a good place. Good. Anything to add to that, Jennifer? Um, just real quickly, of course, the safety aspect that Chris mentioned is paramount. But secondarily, if you can even back it up a, a bit further with your hiring managers and your HR team to find out if there are any options, if it is a frontline, is there some way that you can offer candidates options? So if it's not um, perhaps five days a week frontline in person, is there some way you can mix it up so that it's maybe one day on, one day off, where it's virtual on a part-time basis and frontline uh, in person the other days of the week. If there's some way, way you can build in some options, that would obviously be attractive to a candidate who's a little skeptical or worried about um, being able to come in five days a week, 40 hours a week, face-to-face. Wow. So any options you can ferret out with your leadership would be helpful. That's um, a really cool company at EXL, so we haven't faced bringing people in front line yet. Really great point. And, you know, I think if there was ever a time to challenge convention, it's now, right? So yeah. it sounds like... You know, if people say, oh, no, they have to be there five days a week or seven days a week or whatever, you know, now's the time to really question that. Let's talk about onboarding, because what I've always said is candidates are always looking for a reason to believe. And that reason to believe has uh, capitalized first letters, a reason to believe they made the right decision by saying, yes, they want to join your company. And that starts from the day that they accept the offer to the day, probably 30 days after their first day. And I would just love your thoughts on how do we make new employees feel like they belong in an organization where, in some cases, they never step foot in uh, the facility. In other cases, for frontline employees, they step foot in, but they need to feel safe. So what would you say are the best tools and process changes you're making on onboarding these days? Go ahead, Jennifer. This is near and dear to my heart. We're working on this right now. I think one thing you have to think about is how do you get across your culture to your people in this environment where they can't, you know, have lunch with you. They can't rub shoulders with you in the office at the at the candy bowl. So how do you infuse that culture? And what we're doing is we've created, um, we've had our leadership put together these vignettes, these little videos, little three-minute snapshots where they talk about their own experience with our company's culture. So that's a starting point. And then when the person onboards, as part of their onboarding training, they get to watch those vignettes from our five or six top leaders. Um, So that's one thing. And then secondly, very proactively, we set up virtual coffee chats. Before COVID, we were going to do them in person, right? And we actually had pre-set up meetings to have coffee with a peer, a supervisor, the one that you're going to be reporting up to, 
a direct report, as well as the boss of your boss. So having those meetings set up ahead of time so that they knew that they're going to have an opportunity to meet people besides people they're working with day to day. Now that we've gone through the whole COVID thing, we've moved those to virtual coffee chats. So, you know, not as great as being able to meet face to face in a Starbucks coffee shop, but doing it online, grabbing a cup of coffee, setting aside the time between those different groups that they're going to be interacting with the supervisor, peer, direct report, boss of your boss. So they can get a taste of your culture, your company's culture, um, by one of those meetings, and they don't get lost in the shuffle after they've joined the first couple of days. So getting those done early in the first two weeks is important. Awesome. Chris, what would you add to that? I think that's a wonderful answer. The way we've looked at it is to think about what we're doing internally as well, right? So for a lot of our own employees, it's much different. And so as we think about the last nine or 10 months, what we've been doing internally to reach out to employees to make sure that the community's there, that um, people still feel valued, they understand. It's the same practice on board. First, acknowledging it's tough. Second, being very thoughtful about your communications. I love the idea of the videos and the virtual, the virtual meetings, and then being very thoughtful about a cadence of getting together with people and, and taking away a few minutes, even just a, a handful of minutes to to have a conversation, to open up, to talk through what's going on, asking the questions about how things are going in their life and, and what you can do to support them. And, and, and uh, being very programmatic in the sense to make sure that it's being done, but very open uh, to just to have conversations and get to know them on a personal level. Mm-hmm. And so I, I completely agree with, with Jeffrey's points there. Great. Well, that I think is a good way for us to end, to consider treating people with respect, figuring out new ways to connect with them, help them feel like they belong and use technology to do all that, given the burning platform, which we all have right now. There are some questions we did not have a chance to get to. I'm really sorry about that, but we're we're out of time. Uh, One in particular that is asking about ghosting. And so what I might suggest uh, is that we address that in a blog or have uh, on ERE, have someone address that in an upcoming blog post. And I'm sure Christina can help us make sure that that happens. But this has been a pleasure. There was also a quick question about wanting to know our full names uh, reiterated. So just to, to, to reiterate that, we have Jennifer Hillsman from EXL, Chris Gould from People Scout, and I'm Erin McDermott-Peterson with People Results. And we would invite, I'm sure, any of you to connect with us on LinkedIn. We'd be delighted to have more LinkedIn connections, especially those who have curious minds about this really important topic. Thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Big Fish in the Talent Pool. This podcast is independently produced in collaboration with ERE.net, and we would love to hear your feedback. You can email Aaron directly at E-P-E-T-E-R-S-O-N at people-results.com. You can also follow Aaron on Twitter at Aaron McPeterson, connect with her on LinkedIn, and learn more about her practice at people-results.com.